0: Matthew twenty two thirty seven 37 through 39. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I will share something with you that I don't tell a lot of people. Before I met Aliyah, I spent a lot of time begging God to send me a husband. <laughs> Soon after my college graduation, I moved up to Michigan to work at Andrews University in their development office. It was a scary and exciting move because it would be my first time living on my own and I didn't know anyone there. So I packed up all of my belongings, which was pretty easy to do because I had nothing. I didn't even own my own mattress. So when I moved into my little studio apartment, I put my headboard up against the wall and then I spread my blankets on the floor below it. And I have to tell you that the first few months of living on my own were great. Some of you who have struck out on a new adventure know this feeling of freedom and independence. It's exhilarating. And in a pretty short time, I had made friends and was feeling comfortable in my work. But something was missing. I needed someone to love. In fact, I couldn't tell too many people this because I didn't want to sound needy or desperate. But I wanted to be married more than anything. I remember laughing with my older sister, Darla, about how we felt condemned to singledom because we hadn't yet met the right man. I found this great little magnet that I sent to her. It's an old-timey portrait of a woman in one of those giant Princess die style wedding dresses, and it's all poofed out around her, and she has this tiara veil thing on her head, and the caption below is, tell me the truth, Alice, does this outfit make me look desperate? Darla and I even vowed to each other that we would never buy a cat, no matter how much we may want one, because we were sure that a cat would doom us to absolutely never find a man. It would just be us and our cats for the rest of our lives. So I had all this love inside of me, and I needed someone to love. So I spent a lot of time that first year just begging God to send the right one to me. I wasn't asking him to send someone to me so that I could be loved, but so that I could love him. It felt like all this love inside of me was just going to waste. And it's hard for love to exist and flourish in just one person. We all need someone with whom we can share our love. And I feel I should add that my desperation didn't come from a girl who was sitting at home by herself every night. I made myself go out on some dates. I think maybe a few guys even loved me. But it wasn't until I met Aliyah that I found someone who I loved. Someone who I could love completely. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says this about the Trinity. All sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love. But they seem not to notice that the words, God is love, have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. So if God is love, he was love from the beginning and throughout all eternity. This is one of the unique things that we as Christ followers have that most other religions do not. We have a supreme example in a God who is love and demonstrates love through his relationships. It is impossible to have and share love within just one person the author timothy keller says if the world was made by a triune god a being of community then relationships of love are what life is really about and although the term is not used in the bible we have created the term trinity to describe the godhead as i was preparing for this message i thought a lot about not just how to describe the Trinity. But more importantly, why does it matter? Does our belief in three gods in one make a difference in how we live our lives? Leonard Sweet, in his book, The Three Hardest Words in the World to Get Right, draws attention to the power of three. He says, life moves in threes. Bad news and good news travel in packs of three. Love comes in a triadic package. He also points out that three is the most sacred number in Jewish Christian history. It is the symbol of union, completion, and perfection. Here is something I'd like you to consider. What if the Trinity is our heavenly family? We are familiar with the term Heavenly Father because Jesus referred to God as his Father. And we are familiar with the Heavenly Son because Jesus refers to himself as the Son what if the holy spirit functions as our heavenly mother please understand that i'm not trying to start a discussion on god's gender the pronouns used in the bible to describe the trinity are all masculine and i'm not arguing with that but we do assign certain characteristics as either masculine or feminine we say things like being nurturing or patient or loving are feminine characteristics, but they're not. I know a lot of women who don't possess one of those traits. (laughs) And these qualities transcend gender. So if you will indulge me for a moment, let's follow this thought of the Trinity being a heavenly family. Now, around the holidays, usually beginning at about Thanksgiving, we start to hear the term dysfunctional family a lot. And we all have those relatives who like to either create a lot of drama or sweep so much under the rug that there's a certain level of dysfunction in all families. And when we spend extra time together, this becomes highlighted. One of my favorite memes says, someone stole my identity. They returned it to me after spending 24 hours with my family. That even our imperfect earthly families give us glimpses of God's perfect love. So let's imagine the relationship among the Trinity as a functional family. They love each other so completely and are so in sync with each other that they function as one. And they all have each other's back, so to speak. God the Father is the provider and the gift giver. Some of you may have a gift-giving dad. My father was a truck driver for most of my life. This meant he was gone on the road all week and would come home on the weekends. When we heard his truck pull into the yard, my three siblings and I would rush outside to greet him. We were always glad to see him and have him home, but we also knew he would be bringing gifts. I have always loved office supplies. My dad knew this and he would bring home these incredible things for me like pins and stickers and truckers log books, incredible. God, the Holy Spirit, as perhaps the matriarch of the family. The Bible uses the term paraclete, which has been translated as advocate, counselor, comforter, or defender. Growing up, I was fortunate to have a mother who functioned as all of these things for me. I remember times when my dad would come down hard on us kids, and my mom would go to him and say, I think you're a little too harsh on that. Or I would call my mom from school and tell her something I was upset about, and she was immediately on my side. She would listen to my whole story and was always certain that I was right. She was and is my ultimate comforter and defender. God the Son is like our sibling, but not the one you argued with and maybe scratched and bit when you were growing up. He is your adult sibling, your friend, the one who would do anything for you. He is your brother who has a pickup truck and helps you move even though you promised you'd stay put this time. He's your sister who comes over and does your dishes when you are completely overwhelmed with the new baby. The triune God then functions like the best, most functional family our minds can comprehend. He is our father, our mother, our sibling, our friend. All three deities reflect each other and defer to each other. God the Father wants us to look to his Son. Jesus came to earth to glorify his Father and says, the Father is greater than I. And Jesus, as he was re- preparing to ascend back to heaven, told his disciples that he must go so that he could give them something better, the Holy Spirit. He says in John sixteen seven, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. In a world where the traditional family is torn apart by death, divorce, and dysfunction, the Holy Trinity shows us love and relationship perfected. Since the Bible never uses the term Trinity or Godhead, we find ourselves at a loss trying to fully understand this three-in-one God. So let's look at what Jesus says about the members of the Trinity. First, about God the Father. Jesus describes him to us many times throughout the Gospels. People both then and now are hungry to know more about the Father and what he is like. And when the disciples ask Jesus to tell them about the Father, he says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I think this is so interesting because it's easy to think of God and Jesus as almost opposite of each other. I tend to think of God as the parent. He's the disciplinarian and the rule enforcer, whereas Jesus is more like the grandparent, the one giving us candy on the sly and saying, can't they stay up one more hour? In his book, Jesus of Nazareth, His Message, His Passion, Dr. Bill Johnson says, Jesus showed us a God who, contrary to what has often been taught about him, is trying to get us all into heaven not seeking evidence of our failings that would keep us from his presence. Jesus told three parables, again, the power of three, to illustrate this point in Luke 15. The first is about the lost sheep. A shepherd has 100 sheep and loses one. He leaves the 99 to find the one, and when he finds him, he calls his friends and neighbors together to celebrate with him. Then there is the parable of the lost coin. A woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. She sweeps her house and doesn't stop looking until the coin is found. Then she also calls her friends and neighbors and asks them to rejoice with her. And finally, there is the parable of the lost son. A father has two sons, and the younger one becomes restless and asks for his share of the inheritance and leaves. He quickly spent everything he had and became desperate. He found a job feeding slop to pigs, and while he was doing this, he realized that the pigs were eating better than he was. The New International Version says he came to his senses, and then that's when he decided to go home and ask if he could become one of his father's servants. But you all know the ending to the story. When the father saw him coming, he ran to him and welcomed him home, not as a servant, but as his son. Then he also invited friends and neighbors to celebrate with him, and they feasted and celebrated the son's return. That's not the end of this story. The older son is angry when he learns that the father has killed the fatted calf for his brother who has squandered his fortune. In his book, Prodigal God, Timothy Keller says, If the elder brother had known his own heart, he would have said, I am just as self-centered and a grief to my father in my own way as my brother is in his. I have no right to feel superior. But we don't see him come to this realization, and the story ends with the father pleading with his eldest son to come join the party. Jesus paints a new picture of the father. He shows us a God who is not waiting for us to mess up, but is actively seeking us, and then rejoicing and throwing celebration feasts when we come home. Dr. Johnson says, in these times, people no longer believe in God. Among those who do, many have abandoned the concept of a God who takes a personal interest in every man and woman, young person and child. They reason that the world is too big and society too complex to maintain beliefs such as a supreme being. Through Jesus' actions and the stories he told, he was showing us that God the Father is very much interested in each and every person. The Father is a loving God who doesn't want even one person to be lost. So then, what does Jesus tell us about himself? When he was on earth, many recognized him as the Messiah and called him by this name. He, however, referred to himself simply as the Son of Man. Have you ever had the opportunity to choose a name for yourself? When I was a teenager, I traveled with my family out to the East Coast for my cousin Jeff's wedding. He and his fiance had planned all kinds of fun outings for the family while we were there, and one of them was laser tag. As some of you may know, when you play laser tag, you have to choose a name for yourself. So I'm in line to get my gun, and I hear the names that everyone is choosing. One of my cousins was Xena, like the warrior princess. One of my sisters was G.I. Jane. And I'm standing there in line, and I cannot think of a name for myself. So being a young teenager with the terrible combination of both thinking I'm kind of cute and being terrible at flirting, I got an idea. And I go up to the counter to the guy setting up our group, and I say... I can't think of a name. Could you choose one for me? And he looks at me completely emotionless and says, You want me to pick your name? And I keep it up. I'm like, Yeah, you choose something for me. So he says, All right, head in there, fire your gun, you'll see your name pop up. Okay. So I go in with my gun and with great anticipation, you know, I'm waiting to see what's chosen. I see G.I. Jane pop up and then Xena and okay, here I go. I fire my gun and I see there on the screen the words (laughs) do-gooder. Not exactly what I was hoping for. Not when you want to be hot stuff, right? But that was my name and for the rest of the game I had to answer questions like, who's do-gooder? And then why did you pick that name? It was terrible. So anyway, Jesus has no un, it's awkward uncertainty about who he is. And because of this, he chooses a name for himself that is actually far beneath him. He doesn't tell people he is the Messiah. He refers to himself simply as the Son of Man. Such a humble name for an incredible divine being he describes himself with seven different I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. Dr. Johnson says it this way. He doesn't just show us the way to God. He is the way. He doesn't just reveal truth. He is the truth. In the ultimate analysis, truth is a person, Jesus. He doesn't just offer us life, he is life. Have you ever wished that you could time travel back to when Jesus was on earth and spend time with him in person? Dr. Johnson says, how privileged were the disciples to accompany the master, to be with him, to see his acts of loving ministry and to hear his teachings. But we today may enjoy the same sort of fellowship with the Lord through the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Christians today tend to think that the Spirit was given to the apostles and doesn't move any longer. But there are multiple references in the Bible telling us that the Spirit will be given to everyone who asks. Acts 2.38 says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He also said, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Another version says, if your son asks for fish, will give him a snake, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You see, both snakes and scorpions have been used as symbols for the devil beginning back in the Garden of Eden. So when Jesus gives this example, he is saying that when we ask for the bread of life, when we ask for him, we won't be given a counterfeit. Our Father in heaven knows how to give good gifts. If we ask for the Holy Spirit, we will not be tricked and given the devil instead. Have you ever expected one thing and been given another? It's the worst, right? I like to make a cup of water for myself every night before bed. And most of the time, I don't drink it all before I sleep, fall asleep, but I like to have it. And my favorite one to drink from is this old black souvenir cup I got from the zoo about three years ago. It's black with a picture of Bodhi the elephant on the outside and it has a black straw. So one night I filled it with ice and water and uh, I took a big drink, set it on the nightstand, went to sleep and then the next morning as I was getting ready I reached for the nearly full cup, took a big drink. My mouth was filled with water but I also felt something solid and that something solid started to move. So I spit the water out on the floor and I see an earwig crawling away. For those of you who don't know what an earwig is, they are small bugs with horn-like tails. And the worst part about this bug is that they like water and they like to crawl in small spaces like my straw. And because the straw was black, I couldn't see the bug hiding in there. I can't help but think of how awful it was to expect water and get an earwig when I hear Jesus talk about giving good gifts when we ask to receive the living water that he has promised he will fill us to the brim he will not allow a counterfeit to deceive us instead in luke ten nineteen, jesus says i have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy nothing will harm you Isn't that incredible? I used to read this verse and think Jesus was telling us we could literally walk on top of snakes and scorpions and not be harmed. And of course, he can give us the power to do that too. But what he's doing here is breaking it down for us again using the same symbols of snakes and scorpions. He is telling us that when he is with us and the spirit is in us, we have authority over demons. He is reiterating, ask, and it will be given to you. We believe the stories in the Bible where people were filled with demons, but we find it difficult to grasp the idea that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do we not believe that this is possible? Is it because we fear we will too easily fall into the belief that we are inherently good? It is true that there is nothing good in us apart from God, but we need to get rid of our fear of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us very clearly that being filled with the Spirit is something we should desire. Ephesians 3:14 says that we may be filled with all the fullness of God, the Holy Spirit taking up residence within you. Could it be that our belief in an, our lack of belief, sorry, in the Holy Spirit is what grieves him? Ephesians 4:30 says, "And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were sealed for the day of redemption." Theologians have wrestled for some time deciphering the seal of God that is referred to in the Bible. For the Israelites, the seal of God was circumcision. For Adventists, we have held fast to the belief that it is Sabbath observance. But I have to wonder if the seal of God is bigger than anything we do. What if it is bigger than adherence to one commandment? Perhaps God will seal his people by filling them with his spirit. As with many things, belief in the Holy Spirit has become twisted within our society and within our church. We're no longer in awe of the supernatural, but rather we are skeptical of the unscientific. You may not have heard the Holy Spirit speak to you in an audible voice. I have not yet heard his voice, even though it is something I want very much. But I am certain that he is still speaking to people today. This is not something that was done away with in Bible times. One of my uncles, when he was in his 20s, was into partying with his friends, but he didn't have much else going on. After one night of partying, he went out to his car and he just sat with his head down on the steering wheel. A wave of depression settled over him and he just sat there wondering what he was doing with his life. He couldn't see past the present moment to anything better or more fulfilling. And it was in this moment of despair in the quiet of his car, that he says he heard a voice call him by name. He lifted his head from the steering wheel, but saw no one there. And then he heard the voice say, everything is going to be okay. What do you think the Spirit wants to say to you? When I ask God to please let me hear his audible voice, I always ask with a bit of trepidation. Will I be scared? What will he say to me? Will it be a reprimand or a command to do something I'm not ready to do? I don't know yet. I'm still waiting. But I wonder if God's spirit wants to tell me the same thing. Everything is going to be okay. In the times when I'm overwhelmed by life and my own failures, everything is going to be okay. The media is saturated with statements saying we can only trust things that are scientifically proven. Yet it doesn't make sense to rely solely on scientific fact because that is ever-changing. A new study comes out every day, disproving yesterday's study. Chocolate is good for you, chocolate is bad for you. Eat fish every day, never eat fish, they are full of mercury. (laughs) You know how it goes. And I find myself getting so caught up in this crazy world that I must remind myself that there is more. There is more than what we're discovering or proving. There is still the mystery of God that requires belief and faith. There is a God who wants to live in us, talk with us, and spend eternity with us. And this brings us back to the Trinity. Why does the Trinity matter? First, the Trinity is a complete three. In the simple existence of God in three persons, we see his perfection and completeness. Secondly, the three-in-one God is an example of God's infiniteness and complexity. I think this is one of the beautiful things about the Trinity. In the simple formation and existence of God in three persons, it's demonstrated how big He is. The concept of three-in-one boggles our finite minds, and we will never be able to fully understand this, not in this life anyway. And finally... The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is a perfect example of love and relationship. Many of us in this life will never know the love of a father or experience what it is to be part of a healthy family. But the Trinity exists as a picture of the love God is and wants to share with us. This affects how we live our lives If we will look to God's perfect example to show us how to humbly defer to one another, build each other up, and love each other completely.